is a really an exciting lesson for me, uh, just going through the book of Revelation. Uh, it's really an uncanny time in the world. And uh, people still have the question, well, is this coronavirus, this thing we're going through worldwide, does, has this, does this smell like something that may be a precursor for Jesus' return? I think it's a dry run. I've heard several people say that. As I thought about it weeks ago when it first started, that's the first thing that came to me. I think it's a dry run for things to come. So it shows you that suddenlies can happen um, anytime, and that's why we should always be prepared. So... You know, in, in Jesus' parables, you know, the, the virgins with the, ta- uh, with the lamps that had oil in them. The idea there was be prepared for any eventuality. And so it really is a day. Don't fly by the seat of your pants. Spiritually, stay in tune with Jesus. Stay in fellowship with God. Pray, seek God, read his word, keep your faith built up. Naturally prepare for any eventuality. I mean, you know, the grocery store shelves are empty in various spots because people weren't ready. Have some supplies for a, you know, a few weeks. I just think it's practical and wise and, uh, because it's, a, it's an unusual day. So the answer to is this uh, coronavirus thing, is it a fulfillment of Jesus' return? I just think it's a dry one for things to come. And I do think we really could be in the season of Jesus' return. Believers of all ages, every generation have felt that since Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven and the church age began. And we're, we're the same way. We have a lot of signs that seem to indicate that Jesus could, could be coming sooner rather than later. So let's get right into this. We've been going through the book of Revelation verse by verse on Wednesday night. And uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. The book of Revelation, it's the third paragraph. I just want to read it because I like it. The book of Revelation is God coming to repossess the earth that rightly belongs to him by judging nations, men, and the demonic hosts of hell that work with Lucifer to hold the earth in bondage to darkness and rebellion. The book of Revelation is God cleansing the earth of all contamination resulting from the fall of man and bringing it back to its pristine condition enjoyed before Adam's sin. And then Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. I read this uh, for the past several weeks. God has allowed, uh, this is Philip's translation, God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. He's purposed in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven or earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Now, yeah, let me just, I got to take a little side journey. It's not in the notes, but in my morning devotions uh, this morning, yesterday, I read the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is all about the kinsman redeemer. And in the Old Testament, if, uh, for instance, if a, if a woman's husband died and, and, and di- left her childless, there, there, there was the law of the kinsman redeemer to where her closest kin, God, person, man, would marry her and then, and then uh, with their union uh, produce offspring uh, in honor of her, of her husband that had died or whatever. So, and he was called the kinsman redeemer. He would buy her property. He would make her his wife. So he would literally redeem her from a terrible plight, a very, very dark situation. And I want to submit to you that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. <laughs> oh, and the book of Revelation is about the kinsman redeemer coming and saying, you know what? The world's in a dark place. This is tough. And you know what? It's not supposed to be this way. And I'm coming to buy it back. God the Father is working with Jesus, his son. And he's going to make everything right. And uh, all of the challenges that we face one day will, will melt into oblivion. 
And we'll be, we'll be in the eternity that God had planned for us without sin, without a moral depravity, and without the challenges of stealing, killing, and destroying that we have to face every single day. It's really a, an exciting concept. Last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 4. And I want to say this, Revelation chapter, chapters 4 and 5 really, really are kind of the foundation for the rest of the book. And, and I want to submit to you, as I've studied this, seems to me that the uh, book of Revelation is sequential. That is, their sequences of events one feeds off the other, and they, and they, and they just flow together uh, really well. There are several chapters in the book of Revelation that are parenthetical. That is, something's happening. And then it says, let's take a side journey here and see what's happening while these occurrences are going on. Let's look behind the scenes. That's true like in you know, part of Revelation 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Those are parenthetical chapters, but there's a sequence of events. We'll talk about some of that tonight. It's really, really interesting. So to begin the sequence is, is uh, Revelation 4 we looked at last week. And Revelation 4 really shows God as the, as the creator and owner and sustainer of all the universe. And the earth belongs to him as well. And and so we talked about that at length. In fact, um, I've got in the notes here, <clears throat> Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord, they begin to worship, to receive glory, honor, power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So, <coughs> excuse me, again, Revelation chapter 4 shows God is the owner of all things. He's the owner of the earth. He's the kinsman, and Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. He's just coming back to claim what belongs to him. That's a cool way to look at it. So he's the owner of all. And, uh, then, and then that flows right into chapter 5. And again, these two chapters just kind of set the foundation for really understanding uh, the rest of the book of Revelation. So let's just go right into it. I'm going to read from the King James Ver- New King James uh, just for continuity. I may reference other versions as I go along and uh, bring out certain points, but the main foundation scripture in Revelation 5 as we read through it will be New King James. And look, let's look at verse 1 here. It says, And I saw it in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Now watch this, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, you know, a cursory glance, that doesn't mean a lot, but if you lived in first century that's full of meaning. And in fact, it's amazing again, mentioned this last week as we went through Revelation 4, hundreds of years prior to John being on the Isle of Patmos here and, and seeing this vision of God in heaven, the, the uh, prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel, the second chapter, saw exactly the same thing. This is uncanny. Uh, that, that John saw, listen to Ezekiel 2, 9 and 10. When I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me. Behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread, uh, spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside, outside, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. And I want to submit to you that Ezekiel saw exactly what John saw. And there were hundreds of years spanning the time that they both saw the same thing. Understand in the spirit realm, there's no time. God lives in the eternal now. There is no past, present, future. That's why God revealed himself to Moses and said, I am. That means he just exists. Past, present, future are all now. Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. So, you know, uh, and let me just as a side journey say this, when you're praying, it's important to know that because as you get in tune with the Holy Spirit, get in tune with 
learning how to pray, pray in the Spirit. You know, you can pick up on things. And, and you know, I've picked up on things over the years. Uh, but, but what you got to be really careful about is you'll pick up on something, but you don't know when it's going to happen. You may perceive something about your husband, your wife, your children, your job, your finances, some circumstance, some situation. Uh, uh, don't put a date on it. Be careful. Be careful with that. Spirit realm things are eternal. And the Holy Spirit's eternal. An, an eternal being lives inside of you. And it's uh, so John, anyway, John and Ezekiel saw the same thing. And I want to submit to you that scroll that both of them saw in God's right hand. It was, it was the title deed to the earth. Now, that's an interesting concept. Here's God sitting on a throne. He's got a scroll in his right hand, which is very significant. And, uh, and, and what's in that scroll? Well, we're going to talk about it. And, and look at the verbiage here. Remember, God gave uh, humankind authority over, under, under his all authority and over the earth when he first created him. Very clear, Genesis 1, 26, 27. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, the authority that God gave them was immediately transferred to Satan, and, um, and he became the legal controller of all things on earth. In essence, Adam and Eve committed high treason against God. That is, a precious gift that God gave them, they gave to God's arch enemy Satan. He became the God of this age so that the, that the rulership and the and the uh, control of the earth went from Adam and Eve, humankind, to Satan, God's arch enemy. And you can see the results the last thousands of years. This planet is just uh, discombobulated, and there's so many problems everywhere. <clears throat> so Satan's reigning of stealing, killing, destroying on earth created a history of turmoil, suffering. Got it in the notes there. <clears throat> that will one day end when God comes to legally stop Satan in his tracks and then judge all of the forces that have been working with him, both human and demonic, and then, and then rids the earth of all of its moral blemishes, and then the earth goes back to its pristine condition the way that it was before uh, Adam and Eve sinned. So again, um, the book of Revelation is all about God cleansing the earth of all of these discordant elements that were allowed in here because of, of Adam and Eve's sin and Satan becoming the God of this world for a limited period of time. And all of the contamination that results from that, the book of Revelation is about God cleansing all of that from the earth. And uh, so again, the scroll in God's right hand shows he alone is the owner of, uh, of the earth. The scroll represents his deed to this planet and he's coming back to repossess what was given away. If you understand that as a basic foundation for the book of Revelation, it really makes, uh, uh, it really helps uh, it open it up to uh, your person. Let's talk a little bit about what this scroll was. Uh, the scroll in God's right hand, normally now in uh, John's day, a scroll was generally 15 to 18 inches in length. We have codex books now, you know, we, we turn the pages, but prior to that, about, that was about uh, second century. But uh, first century and during John's day, there were scrolls, and, and, and scrolls were generally made of papyrus. I've been to Egypt, and I've, I went into one little shop, and they showed us the 
reads the papyrus was made out of and how they beat it out and, you know, wet it and, you know, made it gel together and all that. It was really quite interesting. But um, most of the scrolls of his day that were smaller were made of uh, papyrus but, uh, and, and only were written on, on one side. But now this one in, in God's right hand, there was writing on both sides, which tends to tell you something uh, uh, during that first century as well. Some scrolls, they found out they could take uh, antelope hide and, and one side, clean one side, you could write on that. But they found that they could move the skin off the, off the top side and, and then clean it real good. And they could write on both sides of the antelope hide. And that was interesting. And, and then if they had a really long scroll, I uh, read after one expositor today, he said, he said some of these scrolls that, that contained uh, um, uh, the prophet's words like John's sometimes were 15 feet. That's incredible to roll up. So I'm not sure that what it was in God's right hand was that big. But nonetheless, um, there's a scroll in God's right hand, and, and it was written on on both sides. And um, that's pretty interesting. Uh, the scroll in God's right hand reminds us uh, that, that the right hand is a place of power. And uh, the right hand is a place of power. So, you know, this is it's talking about God's authority and then the scroll had some seals on it. And, you know, if you look back and you can do some research yourself about seals in the first century. Now, you know, we're talking about some pretty archaic stuff here. I mean, hey, let's get real. We do texting and emails and, you know, we hardly even use a pen now. We, we type it all out on our phones or our iPads or our laptops or computers and stuff. And we hardly even write anymore. You can even digitally sign all your stuff. But, you know, here's a, here's a definitely a different day. And so secure documents. You know, there's ways now. In fact, I've bought houses, sold houses, bought land, sold land, and, and never even met the people that are, are the, the uh, persons in the transaction, all because you can do it online and it's all secure. But in, in John's day, if you, let's say you had a scroll, and, and, and many scrolls in John's day were legal documents that could have been uh, deeds to land, uh, could have been a deed saying that a person owned, they had slavery at the time, owned a slave. Or it could be a military document where a, a general or a, a military leader or maybe even the governor over some province or, or maybe the prime minister of a nation or a king would, would send by scroll uh, an important document to someone and, and, they would, and they would have to put a seal on it. Now the seals are, are, are a bit interesting. The seals were made of, um, of, uh, of hot wax or soft clay. And, uh, for instance, a person, a dignitary like a prime minister or a, a general or governor of some kind, uh, something like that, somebody really important, they would have a signet ring. And when they, and when they put those seals on, they would take a piece of twine, tie the twine around the scroll, tie it, and then and put the little, the little piece of clay or wax on there and then imprint it with a signet ring. Now, now that secured the document so that nobody would tamper with it. And so generally, and, and, and let me listen to this now. It was so important not to tamper with a legal document that, that were particularly sealed and had the signet ring. Uh, that was a capital punishment offense. Nobody, but no, everybody knew. If that, if that document has, uh, has uh, you know, the, the seal on it, and then the only person supposed to open that document is the person 
that it's being sent to. That's it. And they're the only persons, that's the only person that has the legal authority to open the document. And generally speaking, the person that opens the document, first century, that person also has to have the ability to carry out what's written in the document. See how important it is? And so generally, you know, uh, there are museums in, in the Middle East and, and you can find scrolls from the first century and, and, you know, one seal, two seals, three seals. You can find some four, five seal scrolls. Very, very rare if you can ever find a scroll with seven seals on it. That tells you something. That tells you this is a very, 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 very important document. And it's got to be carefully taken somewhere. And then the person that it's written to has to be found. And then that person has to go through the painstaking process of breaking all those seals. And they don't want to mess up the document at all. It's written on outside, inside and out, you know. So you've got to be careful breaking the seals. But that person's got to have the authority once they break the seal and unroll the, the scroll to, to, to carry out the contents that are written on the scroll. Now, that's, that's really interesting. So that's a whole lot to say in a little bit of time. So um, the scroll had the seal. So, 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 so Jesus is the only person we're going to see in a minute that was able to break the seals on the scroll. And we're going to see in Revelation chapter 6 that, that the seals were broken. We'll talk about them in just a minute. But there are certain things that happen each time a seal is broken off the scroll in God's right hand. I'm trying to get you to get a mental picture of what's happening. There's a scroll, the title deed to the earth in God's right hand. For, for the contents to come to pass, it's got to be unrolled. For it to be unrolled, somebody's got to break the seals. Once the seals are broken, seven of them. Then the scroll's unrolled. And then, when the scroll's unrolled, let me tell you what's in the contents, the rest of the book of Revelation. There are trumpets, seven trumpet judgment judgments inside the scroll. There are, are seven bold judgments. The trumpet judgments are Revelation 8, 9, 10, part of 11. Uh, the bold judgments are Revelation chapter 16. They're contained in that scroll. Everything that God has to do to cleanse the earth of sin elements is in that scroll. Uh, Jesus' return is in that scroll. The new heavens and new earth is in that scroll. Uh, Satan being cast into the lake of fire and then finding his eventual, his eventual doom uh, in, the, in the federal penitentiary of eternity, the lake of fire. He's, he's put in a bottomless pit, what I meant to say. Then later uh, put in a lake of fire. The new heavens and new earth that John saw in Revelation 21. Eternity of ter- eternities with God where there is no curse. Everything is pure and perfect. All oh, that's in that scroll. None of it can come to pass until a person worthy to open the scroll is found. And the only person... It's Jesus, the Lamb. So let's look at it. Revelation 5, 2. Look at this. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Look at that. Then verse 4. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll. Or to look at it. <laughs> First of all, notice it says, <coughs> excuse me, the strong angel with a loud voice proclaims something. Well, the angel speaking real loud that indicates it's a really important scroll. We really need to find the person that can open it 
And it's a really bad idea not to find that person. And then this person had to, had to be able to carry out the contents of the scroll, had to have the authority to break the seals with a, with a, signet, with a signature in it. You understand? And uh, the, the scroll's only, only opened by the person that it's sent to. Nobody else can under the penalty of death. And then the person has to be able to bring to pass not only the seals, but then what's inside the scroll. So this is a really important person to find. I've got in the notes here, once those seals are broken on the outside of that scroll, the first seal that's broken, we'll go look at this next time in Revelation 6. You find a rider on a white horse. Many people believe that's the Antichrist. Some think it's Christ. I don't think so. I think it's the Antichrist. Second seal is broken. It's pointing to a time of war. The third seal, we'll look at it in detail next week. Third seal's broken. It shows a black, and, a black horse and a rider referring to famine uh, on the earth. The fourth seal's broken, showing a pale horse and rider, meaning disease and death come upon the earth. And then the fifth seal are martyrs that are slain because of their faith in Christ and His Word. And, uh, and, and this particular seal where the martyrs, where the martyrs are, are, um, are slain, um, th- this is the midpoint I believe, and we'll see it next week, the midpoint of that seven-year time we call the tribulation when the Antichrist turncoats on Israel and really begins to persecute Israel in the church. Then the sixth seal, cosmic disturbances. I mentioned it, mentioned it in past weeks. The day of the Lord is about to begin. The sun, moon, and stars darken. That is an indication that the rapture of the church is about to occur and a terrible climactic event called the day of the Lord begins when trumpets begin to sound. And I mean, there's, there's never been a worse time on earth before and never will be again. It's a terrible, terrible time of intense destruction and it's called the day of the Lord of the wrath of God. That's the, that's the sixth seal. And um, uh, the seventh seal really begins and that's in Revelation 8 when, when Jesus finally undoes that one. That seventh seal begins the day of the Lord. And, and all indications are, we'll look at it again next week, we won't be here. The rapture of the church will have occurred when you read Revelation 8 and all the scary things. It's pretty spooky. But I, I don't believe we'll be here. So you don't, don't read it and go, oh my goodness. Well, well be, be, be concerned if you don't know Jesus. But be free if you do, because you won't be here. So nonetheless, uh, no... No one was found in all of, of the universe that was worthy to uh, open this scroll. And uh, John was really upset about that. And there was a right wide search and uh, he was weeping. He was weeping. In fact, the, the Greek seems to indicate he was involved in uncontrollable sobbing. He knew the importance of the scroll, the seven seals. And no one was found that could open the scroll. I mean, the angels are looking universe-wide. What are we going to do? Who's going to open the scroll? If the scroll's not opened, then God's purpose is to rid the earth of the curse and all the malevolent elements that have caused the killing and stealing and destroying, the curse that's on the ground itself. All of those things that came with the fall of man, none of them can be dealt with until the right person is found to open the scroll. So you got, and Jesus can't come back. Unless the scroll is open. The new heavens and new earth, they won't be here unless the scroll is open. Eternity can happen the way that God wants it to until someone's found worthy. So John's weeping and he sees the, he sees the, the weight of what's going on with his scroll in God's right hand. And then one of the elders, remember they're around the throne of God. We saw them in Revelation chapter 4. One of the elders 
said to me, do not weep, John, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And John, maybe he just kind of, wow, whew, glad that's over. They looked a long time, couldn't find anybody. You mean it's, it's Jesus himself? And they call him the lion of the tribe of Judah. It talks about uh, when it says lion of the tribe of Judah, that's, that's the tribe in Israel that Jesus came from. It's really interesting. And uh, Jacob prophesied about this before he died, about where the Messiah would come from. Listen, to, it's in the notes, Genesis 49, 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one, uh, one whom all nations will honor. The scepter, that is the rulership, the authority will not depart from Judah. That, what's it saying? From the tribe of Judah, Judah will come the Messiah. Now, now, now this is really in, interesting. The symbol for the tribe of Judah is a lion. That's why I call Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isn't that interesting? My goodness, he would, he would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. And there's, there are three scriptures I want to share with you here. Uh, God promised that from David's descendants would come the Redeemer that would sit on Israel's throne for eternity. And uh, uh, this descendant will fulfill God's promises both to Abraham and David. Look at this, Genesis 12. I read this a few, couple of weeks ago on Sunday. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family from your father's house to a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, Jesus is all tied up in the promise God made to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And, and, and through Abram's uh, ancestry, all of the families of the earth in eternity would be blessed. That's pretty interesting there. And then, and then look at this, uh, just one other scripture here. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16, God's promise to, to David. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be rule over my people over Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, made you a great name like a like the name of, of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Then verse 11, Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, prophet speaking to David, I will set up uh, your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And of course, that's Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He'll be my son. If he commits iniquity, I'll chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom, watch this, shall be established forever before you. Your throne, that is David's throne, would be established forever. So God said two things. Abraham, the seed from your family is going to bless the whole world for eternity. David, your seed will sit on a throne for eternity. 
and oversee the earth. That's an incredible promise. Jesus fulfills that promise. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The New Testament actually begins with this promise. Look at this. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Then it says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When God makes promises, he keeps them. And that's why you and I can have confidence today. Going through a tough place, God makes promises and always keeps his word. Then Revelation 5, 6, and 7. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, he looked again into heaven, and in the midst of the elders, and he saw something, Revelation 4, he saw the same thing, but he didn't see this, and maybe it was there the whole time. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, that's interesting. Then it says, having seven horns, seven eyes, um, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So the lamb comes and takes the scroll out of God's right hand. Here, here again, John sees what he saw in Revelation 4, but he didn't see the lamb standing there. And... Um, Jesus is depicted, of course, you know this, both as a lion and a lamb. Jesus' first coming, Jesus was the lamb of sacrifice. Jesus' first coming, he came in humility. His second coming, Jesus comes as a lion and he comes with the authority of a lion so that he can judge and cleanse the earth. So let me make this statement. It's in the notes here. Jesus' power as a lion comes from his sacrifice as a lamb. Now, now, see, that, that speaks to me. See, his authority is in his humility, right? So if you're a leader, <laughs> the way that you're influential is, is not by lording over and demanding. It's by servanthood. Jesus served us as the Lamb of Sacrifice. He gave his life as a ransom for all of us. And that enabled him to come back the second time as the, as the lion. That's pretty cool. So John shows four things about this lamb that he sees there in the throne of God. Four things. Number one, the lamb was standing. Now, now you know, you think of a lamb as soft, cuddly. You know, you might have a little, uh, little uh, things you buy your children, and this one's a little lamb, you know. I think I bought one one time. You wind it up, and it makes a cute little noise. Oh, you know, soft, cuddly, defenseless. That's a lamb. But this lamb was standing and this stand, lamb was standing in position uh, like he's ready to do something. And he, and he is. Jesus is the lamb standing. He's ready to break those seals. He's ready to unroll that scroll. And he's ready to cause to come to pass all that's written in that scroll. Well, those trumpet judgments, those bold judgments we're going to read about in the rest of the book of Revelation. So that lamb is standing. He's making all the injustices right. He's ready. He's standing. And he's staying, standing as the kinsman redeemer for the earth. And he's ready to make things right. So he's the lamb standing. He's ready to get busy. Number two, the lamb has been slain. So obviously, says a lamb as it had been slain. What is that saying? There was, there was probably blood on his wool. And so the red blood can be seen on the wool. So... So it's come back to life after it made forgiveness and remission of sin available and it had conquered death and the grave. So this is the person who's redeemed all of mankind. It's the lamb that had been slain, but now he's alive. Number three, the lamb was strong. Now that's seen by the seven horns. 
Now, horns in the Bible represent strength. A horn of an animal is the strength of the animal. Now, you can do a word search and find plenty of scriptures that show that. For instance, uh, Daniel 7, uh, it talks about, it talks about uh, horns, uh, a beast rising up with, with uh, horns, uh, ten horns, for instance. Book of Revelation, it talks about a beast rising up out of the earth with seven heads and ten horns. Well, what do the horns represent? Authority, strength, power, ability. So again, uh, this number, uh, and so the, um, <clears throat> so the lamb was strong, and that's what the horns have to do with. Horns of an animal also are used as weapons. And so that refers to the strength of the animal. So this is the strength of that lamb when you see the seven horns. Seven has to do with perfection. So this lamb had perfect strength. That means enough ability to bring to pass what would happen when the seals are broken. Enough ability to, come to, to bring to pass what happens when the trumpets are blown, the seven of them. And then the seven bowls are poured out on the earth. So the lamb... Uh, had uh, four things. He was standing, he was slain, he was strong. Then lastly, number four, the lamb searched. He's got seven eyes. Again, seven um, uh, perfection. That really is talking about God's omniscience, his all-knowing, his all-seeing. He knows and sees all things, perfect knowledge of the future. And so this lamb had perfect knowledge of the future and what would happen when the scrolls were unrolled. So uh, that shows what the lamb was. Then verse 8 says, as he wraps this up, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And I want to emphasize uh, for the moment here the prayers of the saints. Uh, um, perhaps the prayers of believers, both Old and New Testament, throughout the ages of time. Are, are heard again by God, and they're represented here uh, by golden bowls full of incense, with, which raft, waft up into God's face. And, and the Bible says, here's the prayers of the saints. What saints? Perhaps the saints of all ages who have been praying for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you've ever prayed that, your prayer's in that too. And, and it wafts up. Before the face of God. Psalm 141 verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up my, of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then, and then we're going to read this again. Or I'll, I'll show it in Revelation 8, 3 and 4. Another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was giving much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. Same throne, same altar. And the smoke of the incense with the, which, uh, with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the uh, angel's hand. So the elders see Jesus take the scroll, the lamb take the scroll, and, one, and once they see the scroll leave God's hand, they just fall down. Why? Because they know. Finally, finally, everything that we've all wanted all these years is going to happen. The earth is going to be stripped away from Satan. And all of these discordant elements are going to be removed. Their curse is going to be gone. Jesus will once again reign over the natural and the spiritual realm. This earth will once again become 
what God ordained that it be. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The nations will beat their armaments into farming tools. And there will be peace once again. Oh, that's what he... So they fell down, it says. They were excited. Verse 9, they begin, and they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. We shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, an incalculable number of beings there before the throne of God, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing, every creature which is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and as such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne. To the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down, worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Lastly, there's a new song. The Psalms are uh, it's common in the Psalms. You go read the Psalms and there's a new song uh, constantly sung. The new song usually indicates the mercy of God that is flowing into, into life. I've got a number of scriptures I won't take time to read there in your notes about, uh, about the new song and how God releases us, delivered us, and various things cause a new song to be sung. So, so here's a song. It's new. It's never been sung. Not like this. Because for the first time since Adam and Eve sinned, here's, here's a person, the Lamb. He's going to come, as I said earlier, and he's going to make everything right. The earth, I've got it in the notes, polluted by sin, selfishness, disease, death, war, and every vile habit known to man will now be cleansed of all the effects of man's fall and sin and will become what God originally created it to be. Jesus makes all things new and heaven begins to worship. Oh, my goodness. So... Um, when we come back next time, the scene changes. The lamb has the scroll in his hand. He begins to, he begins to open the seals. And we'll go into detail next week and talk about the opening of the seals. What kind of timeline does that look like? What does it look like as we look at the seven years that God showed Daniel in Daniel chapter 9? The seven years of Jewish history that's yet to be fulfilled. We call it Daniel's 70th week. Uh, God showed Daniel 70 weeks of seven or 490 years. Seven years yet to be fulfilled. People typically call that the tribulation. It's really a misnomer. It's not found in the Bible to call it tribu the tribulation. There's the great tribulation, but nonetheless, uh, we, uh, you know what I'm saying when I say that, and, and Revelation 6 begins that process, begins that that time sequence of events. And so uh, we'll have an interesting time looking at that next week. So make sure you tune back in next time. So let's pray a minute. Father, thank you. Thank you that we know, we know how things are, are, are going to end. Uh, you gave John this, this unveiling, the apocalypsis, the unveiling of the future. And Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you that we have hope in him 
that he'll right all the wrongs and, and, uh, and deal with all the injustices of all the ages. And all the things that, are effective, that have affected our lives will be done away. All the negative things will be done away. You make all things new. Lord, I pray for every person that may be watching this tonight or at some time in the future, that the Spirit of God would draw all of us to you. Lord, if there's a person that listens to this and maybe they're unsettled, perhaps they're not sure about their eternal well-being, help them to know that there is a heaven and there is a hell and there is a life beyond this one.